0: You're listening to a 58 Ember production. Hey, welcome to Here For It. I'm your host, Erica Muller. Each week, we'll be talking all things life, fashion and beauty, personal development, and probably some pop culture along the way as well. Here For It is your weekly space to get grounded, regroup, and be inspired to live your best life because really, we're all figuring it out as we go. And I'm so here for it. Hi guys, welcome to season four of Here For It. My name is Erica Muller. For anyone new around here, welcome. I'm so happy to have you. And if you're not new around here, I'm so happy to have you back. I've missed you guys. It's been a few months. Um, There's been a lot in the works behind the scenes since we last chatted. But I'm really excited for season four. I have some really incredible guests and episodes planned and just some fun stuff happening. So I'm happy to be back in front of a mic. Before we jump into the episode today, I want to give you a little hint, hint at a giveaway that's happening. Um, It hasn't been officially announced yet, but it'll be our little secret. Uh, 58 Ember, the podcast network that I am on with Here For It, is hosting a giveaway. And if you follow me on Instagram, you saw yesterday I had posted a picture my stories about the PR box that they had sent out. They are sending one lucky listener your own PR box. All of the rules will be posted to my Instagram stories tomorrow uh, Wednesday, November 8th. And on Wednesday, November 15th, the winner will be announced. So if you want to participate, which I highly recommend, because there's some good stuff in that PR box, um, you can head over to my Instagram and check out the rules. Okay. Moving on to today's episode, I'm really eager for you all to hear this episode. I have Casey Shea on, and Casey is a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner. She's a certified holistic nutritionist, certified brain health coach, and holistic health practitioner, and she focuses on helping women naturally eliminate anxiety and increase their energy. After we had this conversation, I walked away and I have been implementing so many of the things that she talked about and suggested in this episode. And it's really, really interesting um, to see the effect that they've had on my life. And I feel like everything's been really positive and productive and um I'm just a lot more mindful about certain things when it comes to nutrition and stress levels and things like that. Um she also drew a lot of conclusions for me that I had never considered before when it comes to anxiety and how we experience anxiety and if you've been a listener for a while you know I've been pretty open about my struggles with anxiety. And a lot of the stuff that she explains is in a way that I've never heard anybody explain anxiety before, and it just made so much sense to me. And so, a lot of the solutions that she is sharing and giving also makes so much sense to me in order and like as a way to implement change and help you reduce anxiety. So, if you struggle with anxiety at all, this episode is definitely for you. But beyond that. We dive into her approach to mental health as a full body approach. And the way she explains that is really interesting. She talks about how your body's response to absorbing nutrition changes depending on your stress levels. So when you're more stressed, your body might be doing things with nutrients differently than you would think. And that was really fascinating to me. She also talks about how our body uses dopamine and the things that we're doing that help and harm the dopamine levels in our body. And that was really, really eye opening to me. If there's like one thing you take away from this episode, I almost feel like that was the most enlightening to me where I was like, oh my God, I had no idea my body does like uses dopamine in this way. And she also hits at, if you are somebody who struggles with acid reflux, what you can do about it and why it's often misdiagnosed and mistreated. And I know that acid reflux can be pretty common. So if that is you, you will have some answers to that as well in this episode. But she is just really, really smart. And I'm really, really excited for you to hear this episode. And I think you will walk away. Um, with a lot of things you can implement and a lot of new perspective on your overall health. So with that, let's jump into this episode. And here is Casey. So happy to be back, you guys. You speak a lot on neuronutrition. Can you explain what that is? Yes. Neuronutrition is the lifestyle and
1: dietary inputs that you are putting into your body, into your existence, that are going to modulate the way your nervous system is functioning. So a lot of us experience things like ADD, attention deficit, anxiety, fatigue, lack of concentration, all of these different things we, we can think of as mental health, but they're actually the health of our nervous system. The function of our nervous system. So neuronutrition is our ability to actually add in these different inputs from the dietary lifestyle environmental perspective that are actually going to affect the way our nervous system functions.
0: Do you think that people get confused between like our nervous system health and mental health? A hundred percent. Our nervous system is kind
1: of like the bridge between our body and our brain. And especially in allopathic medicine, we're used to cutting ourselves off right here at the neck. Mm. It's either a mental health issue. So we're looking at the brain or emotional health, trauma, that type of thing. But we're ignoring our physical body. But the thing is, we are one entity. We can't look at our health separately with this disparity. We are one person. We can't silo out our mind, our mental health and our physical health. So our nervous system is kind of the bridge between both of those things. You're nervous system is starting in the brain, but it's going to be affecting your physiological health as well as what you perceive from emotional health as well.
0: I think that makes so much sense. There's so many times where like you feel an emotion and then like your heart is racing or like you have that pit Mm -hmm. in your stomach. So of course there's got to be a correlation there somehow. Exactly. Yeah. If you think about
1: it, our language has also developed around this. You get butterflies in your stomach when you're nervous. You're nervous. It's something you're experiencing in your in your mind, of course. But yeah, you, your heart's gonna race too. You're gonna get the butterflies. It's a full body experience. So if anyone listening has ever experienced anxiety, you know it's not just a mental, emotional experience. You're feeling it, you're physically feeling it as well. And that's that's your nervous system speaking to you. That is showing you that this isn't just solely mental health, is it mental health? Of course, yes. Talk therapy, traditional approaches to mental health are extremely valid, very important. But I feel like we ignore too much the physiological reactions or side effects of experiencing things like anxiety, which is really just an experience or a symptom of being in your fight or flight state.
0: That's so interesting. So there's a correlation between obviously what's going on in our brain, like what our thoughts Mm -hmm. are thinking, that mental aspect, which then can impact our physical body, but can it also be vice versa? Like, is there a correlation between what's happening physically that then affects us mentally?
1: Absolutely. So I work with a lot of clients to help correct anxiety and they're already doing, you know, therapies. They've been on SSRIs. They've done more of the traditional approaches, but they come to me because that is just not working. It's not moving the needle forward for them enough. So what we do is we look at both external environmental stressors and internal stressors. So my focus is on the internal stressors, the external stressors or things like your relationship with your parents, um, notifications and text messages, uh, your work situation, things that you are actually perceiving as stressful, right? Like this is a stressful situation. I'm stressed right now because of this. Those are usually things that are out of your control. So they're external and environmentally focused. But we also have a lot of internal stressors. And those internal stressors can be things as simple as nutrient deficiencies. It can also be underlying stealth infections. Maybe you've had a low-grade bacterial infection for the past three years. I see that very, very often when I run my client's blood work. And those are just gonna be two examples. We can also have stagnation of our lymphatic system where we're not moving enough and we're not actually pumping out the drainage of our lymphatic system. So we're having a lot of stagnation of this like immune debris that can give us brain fog, difficulty concentrating. When we don't have the optimal function of these different components of our physiology, it is stressful. It actually is going to trigger our brain and say there's something wrong here. There's even evidence that having your bite misaligned can be an internal stressor
0: right oh my gosh. you're
1: grinding your teeth it can be an internal stressor and what these two types of stressors are doing these external stressors or environment environmental stressors is whereas well as well as the internal stressors those are combining it's an addition equation to determine how much stress resilience do you have in this moment so maybe you don't have real, a lot of life stressors and you're wondering why you're anxious all, all the time why is one little thing throwing you over the edge and putting you into a panic attack Mm -hmm. You may have a lot of nutrient deficiencies, you may have, you know, stagnation of your elimination, maybe you're not going poop every single day, and you're reabsorbing a lot of these things that your body is trying to eliminate back into your bloodstream. That's really stressful for your body. So I work particularly on the internal stressors, running blood work, figuring out what are the nutrient deficiencies that you're lacking? What systems within your physiology are stagnating? What can we optimize from the body perspective that is going to reduce a lot of those stressors on the internal side? That's going to make you more resilient to those external stressors that you can't control.
0: I have been pretty open about my struggles with anxiety. I've dealt with it for a long time, um, but I find it very uncommon for people to speak on um anxiety with this kind of like overarching view. I feel like you hear often like take deep breaths, stop drinking caffeine, Mm -hmm. um, meditate. But beyond that, I've never really heard many people speak about a nutrient deficiency could be causing anxiety.
1: Absolutely. You can have something like an iron deficiency, which is one of the most prevalent deficiencies in the United States for women that will literally mimic the exact symptoms of a major depression. So our mental health is physical health, is physiological health, is nervous system health. So even something like low B vitamins, especially B12, that could drastically lower your energy to the point where you don't even want to get out of bed. Mm -hmm. And what is so crazy to me, it is one of the most interesting things about the work that I do, is we get more deficient in these nutrients, the more stressed we are, the more anxious we are, the more trauma we experience. Because the same nutrients that allow us to switch out of our fight or flight sympathetic state back into our normal optimal functioning parasympathetic state are the same nutrients that are going to be depleted when you are in stress. So we have a different need, different nutrient need, based on which state our body is in, based on whatever our body is trying to accomplish at that time. So if we're in our survival state, we actually have an upregulated need for things like magnesium things like b12 Mm -hmm. these are vitamin c these are really important nutrients that your body needs a larger amount of to maintain stress stress is a very very expensive process physiologically and if you're Mm -hmm. chronically stressed chronically anxious not getting enough sleep under eating fasting over exercising all of these things are going to further deplete these nutrients and you're going to have to replete those nutrients in order to actually be Able to get out of that stressed out state to get back to your optimal function. So it's a double edged sword because if you are not consciously aware that you're depleting those nutrients by being stressed, then you're just going to dig yourself further and further into a hole and you're going to have to put in a lot more effort to replete those nutrients. But the issue is when you are in a fight or flight state, your body has a much harder time digesting and absorbing nutrients. So even if you pop the supplements, even if you eat all the right food, you're eating a perfect diet, if you're in a fight or flight state when you're eating those foods, your nutrient absorption is gonna be drastically lowered. Your stomach acid levels, which help you to absorb your B vitamins, your iron, your proteins, and proteins break down into individual amino acids that then build up into our neurotransmitters like serotonin, GABA, dopamine, Those are really important for our mental health and function, but we can't absorb those if we're in our fight or flight state because our stomach acid levels are lowered because we're deprioritizing digestion in order to survive that situation. We're also stagnating our gallbladder function, which is going to help us to absorb through our bile flow our fatty acids and fat soluble nutrients, which are really important for stabilizing our hormonal health, helping us to produce hormones in the first place, as well as reducing inflammation that can further exacerbate anxiety.
0: Okay. I have so, so many questions. <laughs> this is, my brain is like, oh my God, wait, like that is wild to me. Okay. So first, if we're, if we're, if somebody's eating like a perfect diet, they're like, it's balanced. Mm-hmm. I'm getting all these nutrients. I'm eating all these vegetables, protein, whatever. Um, but they're obviously not absorbing it. How do we know? Like, does that show up in a lab? How do you know if you're mm-hmm. not absorbing those? Yeah, so we can definitely see
1: the deficiencies in the first place. So this is what's really important about getting lab work done is actually having someone there to interpret it for you. Because if you Mm -hmm. just see, oh, I have low B12, you could think I could just, you know, eat some more foods that contain it. I could take a supplement for that and I'm going to be fine. But the thing is, if you're not able to absorb that, then we're going to have an issue with it. You're just wasting a lot of money, to be honest, and a lot of effort and attention in trying to get that into your diet, into your body. So in that case, that's where we're looking at different factors, different uh, metrics that tell us within your blood panel what your stomach acid levels are. So this is where the knowledge of how you're going to be absorbing these nutrients comes into play and actually being able to measure these things. So Mm. when I'm running labs on my new clients, I'm determining, all right, what are the nutrient deficiencies first and foremost, and why do we have them? Is it Mm. because we lack it in our diet? Is there an actual absorption issue within the gut? Do we have inflammation of the gut? Do we have underlying infections in the gut that are inhibiting our ability to absorb this, or are we chronically in fight or flight to the point where our body is deprioritizing this as an objective? So yes, there's definitely labs we can run, um, but there's also associated symptoms. So particularly for stomach acid, for everyone listening, if you are curious if you have this, if you have anything like heartburn, indigestion, that is a really, really good sign that you have low stomach acid levels because we have a sphincter right here in our neck that is basically going to act as like a little flap. And when we have elevated stomach acid levels, the appropriate amount, the flap stays closed. We don't have backsplash. We don't have the heartburn or indigestion. But when the levels are too low, that flap doesn't work. It doesn't have the same signaling that keeps it closed. So we don't feel the backsplash. So when they're too low, we experience heartburn and indigestion. And this is very contrary, actually quite opposite to what allopathic medicine is saying. They're saying we need to actually lower those levels more because you have too much, you're experiencing the heartburn. But it's actually this dysfunction of the sphincter that is causing that to happen. So if you are experiencing something like heartburn, it's very probable that you have low absorption of your proteins, of your B vitamins, as well as your iron. And I would 100% ask you to go get those things checked because all of those are gonna make a very, very big impact on your experience of mental health.
0: So then what is the remedy of that? How can we fix this issue of my stomach acid is not allowing me to absorb what it needs to absorb? Very simply.
1: The first thing I always like to use is food. As much as we can use the natural option, something that is going to be really sustainable, I'm always going to put that first. So first thing I I would try is having something like a, a lemon or a lime in a little bit of water before you drink or before you eat food. It's gonna help to increase those stomach acid levels because of the lemon, the lime juice. We always wanna use fresh, not those gross bottled ones. That's gonna help. Another option is apple cider vinegar. Apple cider vinegar diluted in a little bit of water before a meal will help to raise um, your stomach acid levels as well. But we wanna be careful with that because if you have anything like a bacterial overgrowth like SIBO, any dysbiosis of the gut, the fermentation of the apple cider vinegar can actually cause that to exacerbate the growth of more of the the pathogenic bacteria, which can lead to more issues down the road. So we don't necessarily want to just go in first and foremost with apple cider vinegar, but if you know your status of your gut health and you don't really have any imbalances and you've done that work already, then apple cider vinegar is very, very, very effective. And I personally love that. You also get a lot of blood sugar regulation benefits from it as well. But Mm -hmm. the safest route to start with is a little bit of like the juice of one lemon, one lime before you have a meal that will definitely help. You can also have a supplemental form and a lot of digestive enzymes. They have hydrochloric acid in it. That will help to increase because you're adding the acid onto acid. but nobody wants to take a pill before they eat every single meal. So I think going for the natural, easy whole food version of just having lemon or lime
0: juice before you eat will is very effective. Um, and it works. I love that. such a simple way to go about Mm -hmm. it. If you can go that way back to my hundred questions that I had a second ago. Um, (laughs) So if you're, if you're looking at somebody's labs and like, for example, I've had my labs run before and I don't know, I think different doctors use different scales of what's normal. Is that fair to say? Yeah.
1: So we have the allopathic which are going to be the normal perspective. So that's going to be looking at what is basically the average health of the average American. And that's going to be the metrics that are used. So it's, it's kind of like you're good in the green section. You're bad. Let's give you a diagnosis and a pill in the red section. So you either are not healthy or you are healthy. But the thing is there's a whole range within that of, becoming symptomatic and getting to the point of disease or dysfunction within the body. And so that's what I'm trained in is functional diagnostic nutrition, which is looking at the optimal value. So this is based on someone who has zero symptoms, zero disease whatsoever. And it gives us more of a perspective of when are we trending towards disease so we can cut it off at the source, cut it off at the root before we get a whole plethora of downstream symptoms. Um and dysfunctions within the body. So we don't ever get to that disease state. So yeah, we have the allopathic normal approach. And then we have the functional medicine optimal perspective for that.
0: Okay, that makes sense because I've always because I don't know how to read a lab. I just the doctor calls mm-hmm. and they're like, Yeah, you're good, you know. Um, yeah. but then you see like the little triangle move along that mm-hmm. slide, and it seems like the healthy yep. is like a really wide range mm-hmm. of numbers. And yeah. so um back to what you were saying about looking at the outside factors of maybe your levels are low because you're chronically stressed. Would that show up in that lab then as well?
1: Only if you ran something like a cortisol panel, Mm -hmm. if you were looking at those actual levels. So no, this isn't something that we have that I'm aware of, that we have a test that is going to say the absorption issue is because of this. This is where Mm -hmm. having a, a, True training and being able to understand and interpret these labs is very, very complicated and requires a lot of knowledge of, of physiology and putting together a lot of disparate pieces, a lot of, you know, disparate, more siloed sections of the body and seeing how they all interact together. And so that's kind of what functional and holistic medicine does is looking at you as a complete picture versus, like, if you look at your lab results, it comes back as like renal health of, you know, your white blood cells is your immunity versus saying, all right, we have this infection. Where is it in the body? Where is this inflammation showing up? What's going on? So it's actually looking at everything as a whole. So for me, the blood work is only one very important piece of the puzzle, but doing a full medical history, doing a trauma analysis, doing a... I have all my clients do a full week of sending me pictures of everything they eat, texting me when they get up. I need to know all of this information. I also need to know their preferences. I need to know what's going on in their day-to-day life to be able to determine why is this actually happening? So it's very in-depth consultation assessment, in addition to the blood work to be able to figure out what's going on in this situation, because there are a whole host of reasons why. And it's up to your practitioner to be able to interpret why that is, but that does require a lot of information from the client.
0: Yeah. It's so interesting to me because I've never had a doctor and I don't want to like discredit any doctors out there. Cause obviously mm-hmm. everybody has their own way of working, but I've never had a doctor, um, who has run my labs ask me any sort of, what are you eating on a daily mm-hmm. basis? How much exercise are you getting? Um, things like that, where is that more holistic view? It truly has always just been, let's run a lab. And then I get a phone call, yep. you know, a week later saying like, yeah, it's fine. Um, mm-hmm. but it makes so much more sense again, with what you were saying in the beginning of, mental health is connected to our nervous system and vice versa. And mm-hmm. everything really is this ecosystem. Um, so it's just interesting. And I wonder how often people end up undiagnosed or misdiagnosed with what's happening mm-hmm. because a, a whole like overall picture isn't being looked at. For sure. And
1: I, my grandfather was a doctor i come from a family of doctors and um they absolutely have their place but i think what we forget is that an md is a medical doctor so they are trained in medicine they're not trained in nutrition they're not trained in in the aspects that we're talking about you have functional doctors you have functional medicine doctors and that's what they're trained in so you need to understand when you go see a practitioner why you're seeing them, what your objective is, what your preference is, how you want to be analyzed, what you want to get out of it is going to really be shaped by who you go and see. So a medical doctor is going to look at it from the lens of medicine and prescriptions. And a lot more of the invasive approaches. And there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But that's what they're trained in. So that's what they're going to prescribe for you. So I think it's just the awareness of mm-hmm. who you're going to see and what you expect to get from them. Like doctors are not trained in nutrition. They maybe have six to eight hours in their entire medical degree. So I wouldn't go to a doctor for nutrition. I would go to someone who's trained in that. But if I wanted advice on a medication or a surgery or I need urgent care, I would absolutely go see an MD for that. So I think it's just the the knowledge and the awareness of what you want out of a situation to determine who you're going to go see for that.
0: That is such a valid point. And I don't think, I mean, I've personally never thought about it in that sense of like, what is this mm-hmm. doctor providing? Um, in a sense, because I think you kind of, at least in the way that I grew up, a doctor is like who you go to when you're sick or if something mm-hmm. like doesn't feel right. And so you're kind of assuming that they do have this overall picture of what's happening in your body. Um, but so valid that people are trained in different areas of health and medicine Mm -hmm. and functionability and things like that. Um, such a great point.
1: Yeah. There's so much complexity to our bodies. Anyone who ever claims to know everything about a human body, you should run far away from them. We need these different practitioners because we are just so complex. Like there's no way, even at this point we still know, and there's so much left unknown through all the academic research we've done, even clinical experience, we have to understand that there's always going to be a bias, a preference, certain training influence on that person. So I always say you need a team. Mm. You shouldn't just have one person as much as your budget will allow for it. Being able to see different practitioners is really going to give you the most true, accurate and holistic perspective as to what you can do for your health. I I'm not fully trained in traditional Chinese medicine or Ayurveda, but there are a lot of these more traditional practices in Eastern medicines that are incredibly, incredibly effective and powerful, but you're not gonna go see an MD for that. You're not gonna go see a nutritionist for that. You're gonna see a specialist for that. So as much as you can, as much as it's allowed for you and your budget for your preferences, I highly recommend having a team to look at all the different components of your body, someone to look at the actual physical structure, your physical fitness and health, look at your blood work, look at your new nutrition, someone to help with your mindset, Um, and then someone to actually be there in case something happens to you where you do need more of that emergency care. I think it's truly important to have access to a multitude of different practitioners to make sure you're taking care of yourself in the best way possible.
0: Totally. I completely agree with that. I think the unfortunate situation is so many people don't have access to Mm -hmm. all these different specialists through, you know, their insurance, like most insurances, I think only cover, you know, more of that, like MD level that you were talking about, where it's like, I know through my insurance, it's not covering acupuncture. It's not going to cover chiropractic. Mm -hmm. It's not going to. And so, um, I think unfortunately that hinders a lot of people from getting that help that they need. And I don't know if that's something that maybe insurance is like starting to say, like we will cover more of these things. I think it would be amazing if it was. I don't know if that's something you see at all.
1: I think it is starting very, very, very slowly. I am hoping and praying that it picks up a little bit, but I, what we forget very often is that we as the consumer have the power over that. So if it's something that we're asking our insurance for, It's going to happen. We're going to start receiving that type of support and care, but it has to grow in popularity for it to be worth Mm -hmm. it to the insurance companies. So it is a really unfortunate situation right now that it is super expensive. Like To truly establish a health team like I described, it's thousands upon thousands of dollars. I understand that not everyone has access to that. But that's yeah. where it's truly coming down to the perspective of what is the most important to you? Can you afford preventative care? Or do you need to just stick with getting your, you know, your annual report done covered by insurance with your MD? But it's it's having that knowledge and that awareness to help you make those informed decisions versus sitting back and being like, what is me? This isn't working out for me. But it's, it's truly taking a step back and saying, all right, I know I have limited resources here. Where can I deploy them? To get the mm-hmm. most benefit for myself based on what my
0: personal goals are totally i feel like i've um always felt like with health especially you really have to be your own advocate because you're the one who's like 100%. inside your own body and knowing what's going on mm-hmm. and if you've noticed correlations um and it's really hard as somebody who I didn't study medicine. I didn't study health and nutrition Mm -hmm. and all of these things to figure out, you know, could this be what's happening over here? Could this be what's happening over there? Like, how do I know this is the type of practitioner that I need? So I hope, um, eventually like schooling, you know, high school or something Mm -hmm. can start introducing that more to, you know, the next generation. So it's not so much like legwork on our end to be like, I don't know. Yeah, Yeah, no, I, I I think that
1: would be amazing. I, think if we could learn about our bodies especially as women if we could just have a little mm. bit more opportunity within our health class to learn what our menstrual cycle is what a period actually is how mm. to prevent pregnancy through tracking your cycle how to actually know when you're in these different phases how to eat according to it we would especially when it comes to anxiety we would manage our stress levels so much better if we just understood the way our our stress hormones and our sex hormones are fluctuating at different in our cycle. So I'm hundred percent with you there. I think we, we do need, and it would be amazing if we could actually get to the point of having more of that self-advocacy education within our schools.
0: Yeah. Okay. So speaking of hormones, cause this is something I wanted to touch on with you. Like mm-hmm. at what point do hormones come into play with things like Um, you know, anxiety symptoms and things like that. I was recently talking with a really good friend of mine and she had mentioned to me how she's realized that the week before her period, like clockwork, Mm -hmm. um, her anxiety is through the roof. It's like the world's ending. The smallest comment feels like, you know, the worst thing you've ever heard. And I started thinking about it and I've never correlated anxiety with my cycle, but Mm -hmm. now I'm thinking, oh, this, could potentially definitely be happening.
1: Oh, it is absolutely (laughs) your cycle. So when we talk about the hormones, when most people speak about hormones within their cycle, they're talking about their sex hormones, but I want you to think about it as we have to first survive. We're humans. If we break it down at the base, we're humans. We have to do one thing first. Hierarchy needs. we have to survive. Then as animals, as humans, we then want to reproduce. So. First within the hierarchy of needs is survival. So the main hormone, stress hormone around that is going to be cortisol. That's going to control that. We have Mm -hmm. elevated levels of cortisol. We are in fight or flight. We're in our survival state. We're going to be deprioritizing our sex hormones. So we're going to have more of those imbalances, dysfunctions, more likely to experience anxiety and PMS during that late luteal phase. So... Our stress hormones are going to play a massive role on if we're actually going to experience the peaks of hormones that we're supposed to throughout the fluctuations of our hormonal cycle. So as women, we have two different main phases of our cycle. We have our follicular phase, which is the first day of bleeding up until ovulation. Then we have a little mini phase, which I like to put within follicular because your hormones are peaking. You, your things like um, testosterone, estrogen, human growth hormone, a little bump in your progesterone, around day 14 of your cycle. This is typically when you're going to feel really good because of the surge of these hormones. Then after ovulation, we go into our luteal phase, which is the back two weeks of our cycle. This is where our testosterone and our estrogen are going to plummet. And our progesterone is going to increase to its peak around the third week of our cycle. And then all of those hormones plummet and that withdrawal of hormones is what causes our bleed to happen that's where mensees is going to come from so that's mm-hmm. kind of a, a rough outline of what your cycle looks like but what's super important is we have the stress hormone cortisol that is going to modulate the effects of progesterone during our luteal phase so we want our progesterone to peak at around 3 weeks into our cycle but progesterone is reproduction, right? It's one of our sex hormones. So it's going to be thrown off or deprioritized for survival. So we are very, very um, susceptible to stress during our luteal phase. Based on just a whole fluctuation of all these different hormones, we are more prone to stress during that time. So that means Mm -hmm. cortisol is gonna be more sensitive. So the littlest thing can make you feel stressed, can make you feel anxious. So cortisol, extra sensitive during that time, if cortisol spikes, it's going to take over progesterone. It's called cortisol stealing, where progesterone, I like to call it your natural Xanax hormone. You feel so calm. You feel so relaxed. You feel amazing when your progesterone reaches that peak at three weeks, if it reaches the peak. But if your stress hormones like cortisol are too elevated during that time period in your luteal phase, your progesterone isn't gonna peak as much as it wants to. Even if you have enough of the circulating progesterone in your body, it's not gonna fit into that same receptor because cortisol is gonna steal it. Mm -hmm. Survival, overthriving, that's always how it's gonna work in the body. So that is where premenstrual anxiety is gonna come from. But also a a whole host of all these other PMS symptoms is because you're sensitive to stress, And you're going to have a downstream effect of that, like lessened progesterone, as well as blood sugar dysregulation. So a lot of the cravings that we experience during that time, uh, the the crashes, the irritability, a lot of that is actually from the blood sugar dysregulation based on the sensitivity of our cortisol levels. So if we are able to reduce our stress and luteal, reduce our stress overall and work with our cycle for the entire month we'll notice a drastic drastic reduction in premenstrual anxiety as well as PMS and i've had a multitude of clients completely eliminate both just by working with their cycle and moving to their natural rhythm
0: that's so crazy to think how many like hormonal things are happening that we're just not aware of
1: exactly this is why we need to be taught this in school the second you get, start menstruating you should have a like an in-depth class on this is how your body works. The amount of women I work with that have no idea what's going on. I don't mm-hmm. even know how their birth control is affecting them. They don't know how it's preventing pregnancy. They don't know the process hormonally of getting pregnant. They don't know when they're fertile and when they're not. I think it's, it's truly important to understand that. But more than being just important for your own awareness um, is because you have so much more control over your health than we're told. If you lack the knowledge, you lack the, un- even just the basic understanding of how your body functions, you're missing out on feeling amazing. And it's something I always say is that most people have no idea how amazing they're designed to feel. If you mm-hmm. are fasting because you're trying to be healthy and you're just chugging your bulletproof coffee a week before your period, you're going to feel horrible. You need to, modulate your diet, your lifestyle, your stressors based on these hormonal fluctuations. Men have it easy. They have a 24-hour cycle. They can do the same thing day in, day out. Women, Mm -hmm. it's a little bit more annoying, a little bit more frustrating because you have to do this upfront work of learning about it. But once you're able to live according to your infradian rhythm, then you actually have a superpower because you can do a lot less during your cycle than someone who has to do it every single day, like a guy. And you're going to notice more rewards like one of the craziest things i see is women who come to me working out every day who want to lose weight and lean up and i'm like okay stop working on your luteal phase just go for walks just listen to your body go hard during follicular and their bodies change drastically just because they're respecting their stress hormones and their sex hormones based on the fluctuations throughout the month
0: so interesting okay so then if our hormones are making us more susceptible To stress during that certain time, Mm -hmm. the luteal phase, I think you said. How do we handle it when it's like an outside stressor? You get an email at work that says, Mm -hmm. you know, this and suddenly something's changed. How do you do your best to keep calm? So, this is where a lot
1: of those more stereotypical practices come into play, right? It's do the deep breathing, remove yourself from that situation. I think these are all kind of the stress management, stress management tactics that we all know and love. Mm -hmm. That's a a great time to use them because right, we can't control external factors, Mm -hmm. but the more in-depth answer here and what I actually do with my clients, because we can't control the external. So you can use those kind of techniques to calm yourself down and down regularly in the moment. But what I like to do is build up stress resilience within my clients before any of that happens, because the one thing we can guarantee in life as a human is we're going to get stressed. We're going to get pissed That's off. True. We're going to get, yeah. we're gonna go through life stressors and we have to realize again, we're animals at the end of the day and we have to survive. So our brain is literally wired to put things through a filter of, is this a direct threat to my survival? And that text message that makes you feel some sort of way, that email from your boss, that TikTok notification is literally a life or death threat to your brain. Your brain is super, super sensitive. And this is because the part of your brain that's actually determining whether something is a stressor or not, is a threat to you or not. Should we turn on fight or flight or are we good in our parasympathetic Mm -hmm. state? Can we handle it there? Is the emotional part of our brain, it's the amygdala. So it's all about emotion. It's gonna be filtering it through that perspective of does this scare me? Does this evoke fear? Am I worried about this? So if we are able, to have that understanding about ourselves, we can work on preventing the sensitivity to that stress. And that's resilience. And we can actually build that through, I mean, it doesn't even have to be based on your cycle, but it absolutely can. In your follicular phase, especially ovulation, when you have more resilience to stress, we can do things called hormetic stressors. And that's going to build up our overall resilience to stress. And we can think of this as like working out is an amazing hormetic stressor that a lot of people are aware of. But You think of working out as a good thing, not a stressor, right? But it actually, when you're lifting a weight, what you're doing is degrading and tearing down muscles. Then Mm. your immune system comes in and repairs them and says, we had this stressor. We need to make sure we're building up stronger this time. And that's how you build muscle and build strength. The exact same thing is happening to your nervous system. Anytime you're using a hormetic stressor, this is heat exposure like saunas. Cold exposure, like ice baths, going into a frozen lake, things like that. Exposure to elements or using things from the dietary nutrition perspective of adaptogens. This is where a lot of like the adaptogenic mushrooms, nootropics, things like that are gaining popularity right now because they're causing little hormetic stressors on your nervous system, your immune system, your gut health, whatever system in the body. And your body is saying, oh, no, we have to be better prepared for this in the future. It's only a microstressor, mm-hmm. so you don't feel it. But your body is saying, this is something that hurt us. Let's make sure it never happens again. It's very jaded. (laughs) Let's make sure this (laughs) never happens again. So it builds up stronger. So that is how we're actually able to build up our stress resilience. And one of the main kind of metrics that we're looking at this is something called your vagal tone. Your vagus nerve is going to be your wanderer nerve. It is one of your cranial nerves that is going to innervate into your whole body. And one of the main jobs of your vagus nerve is to switch you out of survival state into parasympathetic state and back and forth and back and forth. And that's what shows how healthy you are, how much resilience you have, is how quickly you're able to experience a stressor and go back into your optimal state of function. And Mm -hmm. if you experience a stressor in your optimal state of function, how able are you to protect yourself, to survive that situation? To be able to go back and forth really, really quickly is going to be the sign of greater resilience and greater overall health and longevity.
0: That's so fascinating. I've never thought about like building up stress resilience. You just think it's like Mm -hmm. a response mechanism and not, um, something that can be, uh, strengthened. Mm -hmm.
1: Vagal tone, just like we can tone our muscles we can tone that nerve to have better flexibility. And that's one of the most important things in the body is any stagnation is basically going to lead to death. We're kind of like a shark. If we stop moving forward, we are going to die. So if anything faltered, if anything stagnated too much in the body, we would cease to exist. We'd get into that state of like disease and then it would go from there. So we want flexibility. We want to be reactionary. We want to be really quick within this is the situation. This is how we respond in the body. All right, it's neutralized, go back. And Mm -hmm. that flexibility gives us so much resilience. And that's one of the number one things my clients tell me is I'm like, all right, how's your stress? Are you experiencing anxiety lately on their check-ins? And they'll tell me, you know what? There's a lot of stress in my life because they can't control that, it's external, but it's not affecting me like it used to. Like, I don't feel as exhausted. I bounce back really quickly and that's a testament to stress resilience. It's we are never gonna be able to control those external factors, but you can control yourself. You can control the different inputs that you put in at different times to be able to build up your resilience to stress. There's so many people out there that can just handle whatever that comes their way. Mm -hmm. They just have stress resilience versus the people who don't, especially someone who's had anxiety or they've had, you know, panic attacks or going even further. They've had a lot of traumatic experiences in their life. That means their vagal tone is so, so, so low that you give them a side eye and they're freaking out. Yeah. It's that resilience. And that's all based on the burden the stressors on our nervous system at that time. So to increase our stress resilience, we have to decrease the burdens on our nervous system, the different stressors in our life.
0: I love that. It also kind of reminds me in a way that a couple years ago, I recognized in myself saying like, oh, my anxiety, I have anxiety Mm. and like claiming it. And one day I just kind of had an epiphany where I was like, I don't really want this to be a personality trait. Like I don't want this yeah. to be me. And so I've been really cognizant over the past couple of years of saying like, I felt anxious or I'm feeling anxiety and not really claiming it. And I think that has also helped in that, um, maybe not having ownership over, this is something that I experienced 24 seven. hundred
1: percent. That's one of the first things I do with my clients to come to me for anxiety is Stop owning it. Why are you Why are you creating that reality for yourself? We think of manifestation as something that's super spiritual, but it's actually real. It's It's physiological. Yeah. It's It's your neurological health, right? Of your brain is gonna do whatever it can possible to make something true, right? If you think totally. about the placebo effect, it's the number one most effective treatment that's ever been studied in the entire world, in all of yeah. history, is the placebo effect. It's your brain saying, "Make this happen." And so your body follows that command. That's just the essence of how your nervous system works. Totally. Yeah. In those cases, if you're saying I'm anxious, you truly have like wired that into your identity. Your brain is going to say, let's make this true to something that maybe wouldn't have made you anxious before your body's Mm going to say, this is how we desire to respond. Or further than that, if we take away almost the emotional side of it. This is how we are programmed. This is how we are conditioned to respond to this situation is an increase of stress hormones and subsequent anxiety. So that's one of the greatest things. One of the greatest first steps that you can take is delete that ownership. It's not yours to own. That's selfish of you. Stop it. It's not yours. Anxiety is an experience. It is a symptom of being in fight or flight. You can't own an experience. You are not anxious. It's just something that you have experienced in a certain moment
0: absolutely and i truly i like, i swear ever since i started doing that the frequency in which i experience anxiety has lessened significantly i love that it's amazing it's just a testament to how powerful our brains are how powerful yeah. we are and how
1: much control we do have over our health
0: absolutely so i wanted to ask you like one final question if mm-hmm. somebody is listening and they're like i really relate to this. I feel like I'm experiencing some of these things. I think I'm chronically stressed or anxious or whatever. Mm -hmm. What are some lifestyle factors you think somebody could implement to help them regulate those things?
1: So one of the first things I would say, make sure you're sleeping. Nothing, Nothing in your body is going to work unless you are able to get enough sleep to truly get enough rest. The next thing I would say is take some time away from technology. I know how hard this is, especially whenever you're anxious, you have a dopamine attachment, you have a dopamine addic- uh, cortisol addiction most likely, and it almost feels good to be in those numbing states, to be in a disassociated distraction state because you're ex- escaping some of that pain of experiencing anxiety, but it is making the situation much, much worse. So as much as you can get into a state of boredom, boredom is medicine for anxiety. Boredom is medicine for repleting our dopamine levels it is medicine for lowering our cortisol levels bonus points if you can be outside in nature grounding bare feet on the earth the dirt the grass the sand the ocean whatever you need that is going to make more of a difference than than i could even tell you and it's the answer that no one wants to hear because it is really hard because it's truly an addiction addiction of cortisol a dopamine Mm -hmm. which is definitely a player in addiction but it's that numbing. So as much as we can escape from technology, from just being completely immersed in something that is outside of our physical body, it's the same thing as getting present, right? Grounding, getting Mm -hmm. present, coming back into our body. As much as we can do that, that's gonna be really, really helpful. So is making a decision of when you're gonna wake up in the morning. This is something that Andrew Huberman talks about all the time, is your morning routine and how effective it is at regulating your circadian rhythm. But one thing we don't think about enough is our circadian rhythm. One of the main hormones that control our sleep-wake cycle, cortisol. Cortisol is one of our main stress hormones, but it's also our wake hormone. And we need cortisol to be elevated first thing in the morning. So we don't wanna lower cortisol levels. As I see everyone on the internet talking about right now. We wanna regulate based on our circadian rhythm. We want them to be elevated enough to wake us up in the morning and give us enough energy to sustain us throughout the day. And then we want it to shut down at night when our melatonin rises. So getting up, deciding on a time to wake up and getting out of bed at that moment, use that dopamine boost to Mm. reinforce this cortisol pattern. If I said I would get up, I'm gonna do it, I did it, go me. Then doing something like morning movement, it's gonna help to regulate the cortisol. If you wake up anxious, especially if you wake up 4.35 a.m anxious, you wanna throw up, (laughs) you feel really nauseous, upset to your stomach, that's really normal with, really dysregulated cortisol from anxiety, but that's messing with your sleep-wake cycle. You probably struggle with insomnia Mm -hmm. or waking up at different odd points in the night as well. So for that, getting a really solid morning routine where you're waking up, getting that dopamine success hit of I got up at the time i said I would, and you're getting up and you are doing some sort of movement to regulate out your cortisol, to move through it, If you can do it outside and get sun exposure, that's also going to be a really important input to your brain through the angular solar rays of the sun actually rising. Your brain's going to take that input and say, this is the time of day it is based on the season. This is how much our cortisol level should be for the day. And Mm. just doing those three things in the morning could literally take you 10 minutes, seven minutes, five minutes, three minutes, depending on how efficient you want to be. And it will change your energy levels, change your, your appetite your cravings. It'll give you a whole host of benefits, but it is really going to regulate out your cortisol levels, which is going to give you a lot more balanced energy and prevent a lot of those spikes and dips that are going to cause anxiety later in the day. So I would say those are more of the like routine lifestyle things that I would touch on first. Those are our mm-hmm. bare, bare, bare basics. If if you can do nothing else for your health, those will benefit you greatly.
0: I love that. Can I just ask a question for clarification on the dopamine, because you'd Mm -hmm. mentioned the dopamine hit that you're getting from scrolling. TikTok is bad, Mm -hmm. but the dopamine you get from getting out of bed first thing in the morning is good. Why is that? So I want you to think about it. When you get up out of bed in the morning,
1: you are doing like one activity, Mm -hmm. right? It's, it's taking up a little bit more of your attention span because it's taking more time. All right. I got up, I did this thing. All right, I'm celebrating myself, even though I don't want to get out of bed. I did it. It's yeah, it's one activity. It's one instance. It's one hit versus mm. how quickly do you scroll through TikTok? Doom, doom, hit, 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 hit. And let's talk about dopamine really quickly. Yeah, we have an amount of dopamine we can use every single day. It's like this much, right? Let's just say arbitrarily it's this much dopamine. Then we have a reservoir. We are not supposed to dip into this reservoir. This reservoir is if we, you know, get lost in the jungle and there's a tiger chasing us, and we need to be self-motivated, we need to dip into that reservoir to survive in that moment. It's gonna work complementary to our fighter plate system. We mm. need that reservoir to always be there. But the thing is, if we deplete into our reservoir, as soon as we achieve that task, all oh, right, the tiger's not chasing us anymore, we're alive. You crash. Your energy mm. is gone, wiped, you are faded. You are just stuck there. You can't do anything else for the day Yeah, and you have to recover. You have to replete that reservoir. So as you're scrolling on TikTok, you're depleting for sure. You're running through your daily allotment and you're depleting. And the thing is, you're probably not resting enough at night to replete that. You're probably mm. not eating enough of the right foods or you're in fight or flight where you're not absorbing enough of the tyrosine from your protein to build up into your dopamine levels. So you're just staying in this depleted state and you wonder why you feel so exhausted and so depleted and you don't want to go do anything. You lack motivation because you're in such a depleted state because you've used a lot of dopamine hits throughout the day. So you're Mm -hmm. in a depleted state. So dopamine is amazing to utilize as a tool when we are in our daily allotment. But when we're in our reservoir, we can really hurt ourselves. And the further we stay in this reservoir, the longer we stay there the longer it's going to take for us to replete that. So if you're chronically scrolling TikTok, especially until you fall asleep at night, the first thing you do is check your phone in the morning. Yeah. You're not really giving yourself enough time to replete that reservoir. So you are going to feel pretty fatigued, pretty lethargic. And it's going to be hard for you to concentrate and get your work done. It's going to be hard for you to want to get up and do anything, to leave your house, to get up off the couch. So that's why I say getting off of technology is incredibly powerful for helping you to Mm -hmm. actually replete all of your neurotransmitter levels, not just your dopamine levels, but also to regulate out your cortisol, your stress hormones, to be able to get your GABA where it needs to be, which is what I call another Xanax hormone in the body, your neurotransmitter. It helps to keep everything calm. It's your main inhibitory neurotransmitter. So those excitatory stress hormones, it can help to blunt them and to calm them down. So if you want the whole host of neurological benefits, taking away things like TikTok and social media, just temporarily to replete those levels is going to be very, very powerful.
0: That is fascinating. Thank you for sharing.
1: You are so welcome. I'm I'm very passionate about dopamine because whenever you can use it appropriately and you don't overburden yourself and dip into that reservoir, you, you do not lack motivation ever. You can get yourself up and do anything, even if you don't want to do it. So it's a very powerful tool. Like I said, the more you know about your body, the more self-awareness, the more autonomy you have over your health the more you can do. You can truly feel like a superhuman every single day.
0: I love that. Thank you so much for everything you shared in this episode. I hope everybody loves it because I found this completely fascinating and just so enlightening. Um, Please let everybody know where they can find you, where they can connect with you, anything you'd like to share.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm the Neuronutritionist on both TikTok and Instagram. You can interact with me there. I'd love to meet you, chat with you. And thank you for listening. And thank you for having me. This was so much fun.
0: This has been a 58 Ember production.